Welcome to The Impostress. The Impostress is hosted by me, Michael Knox, and Graham Drew, two rather insecure frauds who will be exploring the motivating and debilitating experiences we all have with imposter syndrome, with a sneaky suspicion that it might just be your superpower if you let it. Hi guys, Cam Merchant here, Gotcha for Life ambassador, presenter, but most importantly, one of Gus's good mates. And I think when you see Gus in the street, wherever you might be, whether you know him or whether you don't, he's big, he's cuddly, he's got smiles from ear to ear, and his energy is magnetic. And most importantly, he's got heart the size of anything. A cuddle is always dawn with big Gus and you feel like you've known him forever. Not only that, I'm so privileged to be working with him and the whole entire team at Gotcha for Life as a presenter, talking about our vision for zero suicides and changing the stigma in mental fitness. I'm here today to present the great Gus Walland, my friend and yours, on The Imposterous. We definitely won more than we thought we would, and the team got better as they went along. Um, mainly because of you, of course, brother. Of course, of course. Thank you. He's been clinging to that victory. You can tell it means a lot. <laughs> <laughs> as you may or may not know, Noxie and I have been running this podcast for a little while, and it's all based on imposter syndrome, especially within our kind of field of work, which is creative, which is a bit of a crossover with what you do. I wanted to crack into it by asking to you about how you got to where you are. Well, I, basically for me, I was, I, I lived in Australia. I lived in Japan actually for a little bit because my dad was setting up travel lodge hotels around the world and then came back to Australia and settled here, finished HSC and then went and did my gap year. And I fell in love with a girl, but she didn't fall in love with me. Five years later, I eventually wore her down and she's now my wife for 30 years. And then over across in Europe, and then eventually came back once my life changed and Hugh Jackman and I came up with that idea for an Aussie Goes um, Barmy, which I lived with the Barmy Army cricket supporters for Fox 8. And that show went really well. Then we did an Aussie Goes Bolly in India, then an Aussie Goes Calypso in the West Indies. And then I was promoting that show one day on Triple M and Triple M went, I reckon this bloke could tell a story. I reckon he might be good for a new breakfast show that they were trying to think about planning. And 11 years later, I finished up there and now I do the drive show. And in between that, I've been able to do the real work, which is obviously the gotcha for life stuff and the suicide prevention and that type of thing, which is obviously where my heart is now. That's an amazing story. And I love that, that it's basically two mates having a blag which you then turned into getting paid for, which then turned into a career. I mean, isn't that the best thing ever? Well, it does help when that one person is someone like Hugh Jackman, I must admit. Yeah, <laughs> like, helpful. We literally, helpful. It was 2005 Ashes series, which actually England, after losing the first test, ended up winning in one of the great series yeah. of all time. And even if people don't know cricket, they sort of maybe know that one and the moment where Andrew Flintoff is tapping Brett Lee on the back because they'd lost by a run. It was just a wonderful series and great for cricket, four houses yeah. everywhere in England. Yeah. And 
Jacko a year later, a year later was doing his show back in Australia called The Boy From Oz and he was reading the Daily Telegraph and on the back it said one year to go for redemption. And it was like the Australian cricket team were going to stay together, Warney, you know, Hayden, Langer, all those blokes were going to stay together to get the urn back. And it just got Jacko thinking. And then he rang me and said, how's everything going? And I said, well, I wouldn't mind a change. I want to do something different by the time I'm 40. And I think I was 38 at that stage. And that's when he put the little seed in there. And um, after that, the rest, they say, is history. It must have been quite a decision to say, do I sell another thousand laptops or do go on tour with the Aussie cricket team? I mean, it must have been (laughs) taken ages to... Great, an easy one for me. My <laughs> wife had to be a bit more convincing, but she sort of, I think, worked out that I would be all right. If it didn't work out, I'd be able to go back and sell. So that was never going to be a problem, but it, she knew I needed to chase my dream. And I really haven't worked very hard since I was 38 because even though I've put a lot of work into it, I've never felt like it's work. Literally standing around doing a radio show or doing TV shows, it's just fun. Um, mm. And the work I do for Gotcha for Life, I'm so in love with the process and what we're trying to do. That doesn't feel like work either. So I'm very, very lucky. But you're right, you know, a little bit of luck at the start and then I banged through the door and kept going. Can I ask you about that, Gus, because it's a really good point in what we want to talk about here on The Imposterous, and that's the idea of owning your success. And you have, and I'm not going to do a word count and go back later, mention the, the word lucky a number of times. And we like to explore the notion of people actually feeling like they deserve it or don't deserve the success they have. I guess the imposter syndrome part of that is exactly what you've just said, which is, no, I was lucky. Mm. Just interested in how you assess what success is for you. Do you have a strategy that allows you to step back and think about that was a success? I don't really step back, Noxie, at all. I, I, I basically just keep moving forward. I've got good people around me that help me make good calls and sometimes I make a shocker or I get over emotional and I don't do the right thing, but I've got people to bring me into line. So always looking forward to something I've always done. Wearing my heart on my sleeve is something else. So I don't mind being vulnerable, um, which is obviously the field that I'm in now. So that's where I always talking about men being more vulnerable and leading with vulnerability. But I remember the first time I got interviewed for like TV Week or something like that or the TV Guide in the Herald and someone said, well, you wouldn't wouldn't have had this job if it wasn't for your mate. And without even hesitating, I said, yeah, you're right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like I know that. Like he rang up Brian Walsh. They were good mates. He ran Foxtel and the deal was done. Like the show idea had to be good. But they could have easily, you know, gone out and casted someone completely different in that role that would have done a better job, as good a job. I don't know. But the thing is that Jacko went, no, no, I want my mate in it. And it was going through his production company. So it sort of made sense for Foxtel not to sort of argue with that. So after that first opportunity, I'm sure they wouldn't have given us a second and a third show. And I'm sure that Triple M wouldn't have come and knock and, and kept me on breakfast radio for 11 years and now on, you know, you know what I mean? So. Yeah, I totally get that I had my start and was given this huge opportunity. I was never going to let Jacko down. I was always going to try my best. I backed myself in terms of my ability and it has worked itself out. But for me, I don't, I never thought that I would be um, necessarily successful or what I feel is successful, which is doing something for a long time and being able to earn a living from it. And that's really how I sort of, think of success. And now I'm doing gotcha for life. The only way I think success can be truly measured is by the suicide rate coming down. 
and it did last year by 5.4%. It's still double the road toll, still more than 3,000 people. So we celebrated for a New York minute and then mm. we just get on with it. Um, yeah. So from my point of view, you know, there's a little bit of times there where I go, we'll never get another dollar. You know, we haven't got any federal funding yet. That'll never happen. If we don't get that, we'll never grow quick enough and this problem's never going to go away. So I, I have my moments where I'm really emotional and, and I doubt myself, but I think like most successful people, we do find a good night's sleep and getting up the next morning and getting on with it is the key. But um, I've had my moments. Don't worry, Noxie. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've had my moments where I've doubted myself and my wife's had to give me a good kick up the ass. I had a few days on the sofa, didn't get out of my tracky dax, didn't wash, didn't shave, was getting Deliveroo every four hours. You know, like I've had those days too, mm. but I've had good people around me, my village around me to kick my butt when I need it. Yeah, we're going to talk about, we'll get talking about Gotcha for Life. I want to ask you just uh, something that you mentioned about the importance of mates and the idea that we might have a lot of friends, but how crucial it is to have that one mate that you can be 100% honest with. And um, a lot of our audience, we'd be talking about how they, I guess, behave and how behaviours in the workplace can, can help and being surrounded by our peers and what that does. And any thoughts that you might have on how we could break down the barriers or or even the importance of networking in this idea of confidence and mental fitness? Yeah, absolutely, Noxie. From my point of view, I do talk to people about in Australia, we talk about our mates all the time, but how many of those mates are true friends? Because I think a friend is a little bit deeper and stronger than a mate. So you might have, let's say, look, for instance, sometimes people have no friends or no mates. And that's obviously one issue. But if, if you do have a few mates, mates you play footy with or mates you play cricket with or a sport with or people that you get along with, you go and have a drink with or whatever it might be, you've got to turn a few of those into friends. And what I mean by that is that you've got to find someone in your life who has got you for life, someone that you can talk to warts and all about absolutely anything. But that takes work and it takes effort and it takes a little bit of vulnerability normally to go, hey, this is something pretty special here. And us blokes aren't very good at that, saying you're my best friend. Why do we do that at primary school, at kindy, hold the bloke's hand and say you're my best friend, but then we lose that over time. So from my point of view, it's actually manning up and speaking up rather than manning up and shutting up. Manning up and speaking up and saying to someone, hey, I really find a connection with you. I really enjoy your company. And I want to be able to talk to you about the stuff that I don't talk to anyone else about. Now, that for me is quite an easy thing to say, but for a lot of blokes, it's nearly impossible. The words get stuck right here. They can't get those words out. So from my point of view, we've got to build emotional muscle to be able to have those conversations of gravity so you don't worry alone. And worrying alone is the worst mm. thing that everyone can do. So for me, it's a matter of sort of basically just doing it and practising it and doing your best and working out who those people are and go, you know what, even if you bumble and you fumble your way through it, even if you have snot running out of your nose and tears running out of your eyes, have the conversation that we're not having at the moment. And in terms of networking and work and that sort of stuff, it's it, it comes, I think people now are more interested in people being genuine and for real, less of the BS than perhaps it was back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s when we were all sort of growing up roughly. So being genuine and being yourself and finding your people is the absolute key because no one necessarily wants to have the bloke who's going to be dancing up on the table all the time. You know, sometimes we just like to find our own people where we feel comfortable in the way that we like to communicate. So, but the main, most important thing is to make sure you're out there having a crack at that and not sitting at home worrying alone about things because that's yeah. when you make some really poor decisions.
11 past 6, the Triple M Grill Team with Gus MG and Maddie Johns. Where the today Popular radio host Gus Warman is living the dream. This is where I get to, to hang out, talk with mates, and uh, they call it work. Beautiful. He's a doting family man. <laughs> not that one, not that yeah! He loves his mates. But in 2006, he lost one of them to suicide. The stuff I miss the most about him is what he's missing out on now. His mate Angus was one of the 2,000 men who take their own lives in Australia every year. The number one way for an Aussie male aged between 15 and 44 to die is to kill themselves. Why don't people know about this? Suicide is not something people want to talk about. Boys and men right across the country are at enormous risk. I could instantly see the moment I opened my eyes that morning I'd made the biggest mistake I'd ever made. How long have you been having these suicidal thoughts? I just didn't have in my head that they were going to be dealing with these life and death situations and so many of them. And Gus wants to find out why. It is about masculinity. We teach boys and men to repress their emotion, to man up. Is the pressure to be an Aussie man fueling a suicide crisis? There's not much point telling someone else how down and out you are. You're right, Gus. Because they'll be like, oh, he's a whinging bastard. <laughs> and can it be stopped? Humans have emotion, and if you put a bottle on it, it's going to explode. This is Gus's campaign to save the lives of Australian men. Let's break the this stuff feels like you're just taking the piss out of everything. I need some help here! Can Gus Wallen change our minds about what it means to be an Aussie man? I've just got to try to find a way that we can talk as a nation because this is a problem that's not going away. I love the, the, the leading with vulnerability point that you made before, but that is, as you say, so easy to say and so hard to do. And the workplace and your mate's place, they're two separate spaces, but something that we found is that the workplace can actually be a great place to find that friend because often you know the comfort in strangers thing is really true because when you've built up your mates and you've had that history of not talking about it all of a sudden talking about it is really bloody hard whereas just having someone where you've got a bit of a connection with and not all that history of not talking about it with it can be easier right you can find that friend in a really unexpected place yeah and what i find is really interesting is that vulnerability can be taught you know, it's not something that you naturally are or you aren't with that place. Yeah, it's about build, building your emotional muscles, but like emotional muscles. So you got to go yeah. to the to the to the to the head to the head gym. So I talk about mental fitness and physical fitness. Physical fitness, I can see behind you there, Graham. You got your bikes there. You look super fit. You look like one of those guys, right? So I get it. So you probably got that physical fitness down. It's pat. a filter. It's a filter. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> but. But what are the exercises for your mental fitness? Where's the gym to go there? Where's the personal trainer for that? And what are the exercises that you need to do? It's a much harder conversation. And I sit up in front of conferences and say, what's your, what's your mark out of 10 for your physical fitness? Don't say it out loud, but you've got the thought in your head straight away. It may not exactly be 100% right, but it is a number. Well, what's your number for your mental fitness? Much more difficult conversation to have. So what are the exercises? So it's about going into workshops. It's about educating yourself. It's about getting uncomfortable. It's like getting out of control. And us blokes do not like getting out of control. We like to feel as if we know what's going on and we've got all our shit together. So for us, it's learning a whole new way and unlearning something we've been told all our lives. So that's why it's not easy. And that's why people give up even when they give it a crack. They don't 
stick at it enough. It's like going to the gym for the first two weeks and going, you know what, that personal trainer, I never want to see him again. My body aches. I'm just going to let that gym membership come out every week or every month because I don't want to have to go back there and deal with it. That happens all the time, and that's what we need to do with our mental fitness is actually sit in some workshops, listen to your podcast, listen to my podcast, listen to all the other great people doing great work, read, look up stuff, get interested and find out what it takes to be emotionally fit and mentally fit and then go from there. I think we owe it to ourselves as leaders or as role models, as fathers or uncles or whatever it might be. We all have so many different roles. It's up to us to get a little bit uncomfortable and learn this stuff so we can then get ourselves around to the point where we don't have so many men in particular worrying alone. We lose seven blokes a day every day. We lose two women every single day. That's nine Aussies that woke up this morning that won't wake up tomorrow morning. You add to the fact that that every 28 seconds, we've been chatting for 19 minutes, every 28 seconds someone tries to take their life in Australia. So you can do the math. That's 20 people that have tried to take their life since we started chatting today. So we need to do something different. We need to start doing that something different right now or we'll never, ever change. Pretty sobering stats and it's pretty terrifying, actually. And you started Gotcha for Life, which is, you know, a phenomenal intent. And you must have seen that change probably more than most, right? Because finally the world is talking about it. But where should people start? You know, if it, if it is about, right, I want to try and find a friend in the workplace or I want to getting more mentally fit myself, I want to sort of start having those conversations. How does how do you start on that journey? Very difficult. Yeah. Not easy. So to have that sort of TV or radio moment where you're looking someone in the eye and you're telling them how you feel and stuff, really difficult. So what yeah. I say to people is use technology. Technology has not let us down over the last couple of years and it just gives you that little bit of a chance of being an icebreaker without you having to be in that absolute moment. Why would you take yourself straight to the grand final? Why would you take yourself straight to the FA Cup final? Start the ball rolling with a training session across the road against the wall with a ball by sending someone a text that you love or that you care about and just say to them how you feel. Like workplace might be a little bit more difficult. What I talk to people about is the village, the people around you that you love and adore and you cannot imagine living it out. Be the leader with emotion with them. Be mentally fit with them by sending them a text like, I love you, I miss you, see you soon, kiss, hug, kiss, hug. Wait for the responses you get back. Now, every time I do that in a conference, blokes ring each other up. What the fuck did you just send me? What's going on? Are you okay? The way to start is by just starting and using technology as a slightly better, easier icebreaker than it is to actually go and have that face-to-face conversation. But always easier to do it shoulder-to-shoulder, whether it's in a car or having a walk or something together. Um, if you need to go and have a beer and sit down and watch a game of sport at the same time, however you want to do it, just do it. Just start. Because at the moment, got way too many people that aren't having the conversation. So nice to be thought of when out of the blue. It just gives you that buzz and that feeling. You go, wow. And then that starts a conversation, right? And it's like, what are you talking about, blah, blah, blah. There's normally blokes will come back with humour, a little bit of taking the piss and whatever, but it just starts the combo. And what I say to people is like, well, this bloke told me the stats today. Did you have any idea around the suicide rates? I don't want anyone that I love feeling that way. So can I talk to you about how it just starts the combo? And, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we need to start to be doing. A lot of it is about combating loneliness, I think. Yeah. We work in the creative industry and creativity and ideas themselves are a really lonely place because so often it's just you staring at a bit of paper or the wall and it's a lonely place inside your head. 
having that skill of just breaking outside of that is super important. You know, your Gotcha for Life Foundation, is it Foundation Charity? Yeah. Is, um, yeah. is all about, you know, connecting people, you know, it's about letting people, even though it may feel like it, is that you're never alone. And the text message is a great example to how to tangibly demonstrate that. Now, you've been in the news recently, haven't you? What did that add or take away from the conversation that you're trying to have? Good evening. It was supposed to be Manly's moment to show its support for minority groups. But tonight, the club is divided. Seven players will not take to the field this week, refusing to wear a rainbow-coloured jersey. As the Sea Eagles said sorry repeatedly for failing to consult the team, its coach and the NRL. I realised, and of course initially I'm sitting there going, oh, this is not good for us and da da da. And then I went, you know what? Let's try to understand everyone's opinion here because we're all not going to get along necessarily or agree on it. But it is someone else's opinion. You've got to respect it, especially when it comes to, to true beliefs around religion and so forth. So first couple of days, very much focus on the jersey. After that, I got with Ian Roberts. I said to Ian, why don't we put some of the money that's guaranteed to come in from the fundraising and we'll put it into some of the... Um, some of the communities that you believe and understand much better than me. So rather than me stand up and say, this is what we're going to do, why don't we bring you in at the end when the, when the pot of money is full and say, right, what do you think we should do with it? Which is exactly what's happened. A bonus was $100,000 extra came in from Manly, the owners of Manly. There's three separate owners and they all paid $33,333.33 to us. So all of a sudden the, 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 Fundraising went from 100,000 from Unibet, 100,000 from Shawn Partners, the two rooster sponsors, to another 100,000 plus the jersey auction, which has just finished up and we're around about 360 odd thousand dollars. So that's a lot of beeswax for, for us to now put back into the right sort of communities to keep the conversation going. So for me, it was ended up being very, very positive. 13,000 there on the Thursday night. They normally get 5,000. So many pride jerseys all sold out rainbow flags and it was such a lovely feeling within the ground as well so it all ended up very very well and now it's up to us to go and put that money to good use yeah i mean gotcha for life to us it started off being very men focused off the back yeah. of the man up program on the abc and uh, it was my journey of why my friend had taken his life and then all of a sudden it was like we've got some really good programs out there for um, women and girls and then we've got some really good programs for different communities as well so we should not be just focusing ourselves on men. So let's go for all Australians, all humans, you know, and it really is a human issue, uh, Graham and Noxie. At the end of the day, you know, we know people from all different types of people that all need the same thing. We need to feel connection. We need to feel love. We need to feel not lonely. And we need to feel as if we've got some people in our corner to get us through the type of stuff that life throws at us. So for us, it was turning a negative into a positive. And, and obviously now, even more importantly, as of the first Gotcha for Life Cup, we want to make, you know, really good um, decisions with the money and then be really open with that. And then for the second year, we can say, hey, this is what we've done with the money that was raised. And I think everyone at the moment needs that. Um, there's too many charities out there where you feel like it's going into a big black hole. So yeah. you need to be really transparent. And we're really good at that here at Gotcha. We've done $11 million in five years, which is a lot, but we're not those 50, $100 million, you know, November, nearly a billion, you know what I mean? So we can still keep a lid on our costs and actually put the money where it's meant to be going. So I just wanted to wrap this up and, you know, thanks for your time. And I know you're on a tighter time schedule than we are and we tend to, we tend to drift. But <laughs> I just wanted to ask you, um, 
on our subject and for our listener, what is it that's keeping the no talent police from tapping you on the shoulder and saying, Gus, what would you know about this? Where's the confidence come from, mate? Michael, I think is that, is that them now? Like honestly, <laughs> like any minute, any minute now. Like I do, I do have that imposter syndrome, and I do get it every now and again from people. It used to really hurt me on social media. They'd call me all sorts of names, and I'd do all sorts of things with Hugh Jackman and all that stuff to get where I have. And I was told by Mark Geyer, MG, who I was on the radio with at the time because he was on social media. Matty Johns, who I was on with, he had no social media. He said, mate, who cares? Like, yeah. He said, Gussie, shout out the window if they start giving you stick. You know who I am, but I don't know who you are. Like, he had super confidence, Matty Johns. Right. But MG said to me, like, he liked social media. He enjoyed the banter. He enjoyed the fun and he enjoyed, you know, the business side of it as well. And he said, Gussie, just be really quick with it. If you see something, then you just delete and block. That's it. Then you never have to deal with these people again. They'd never say it to your face. So just literally delete and block and just get over it because otherwise it's going to tear you apart. I never found fame in a certain vertical until I was sort of 40. I took I noticed you didn't on- say winning State of Origin games, but um, let's move on. Well, those two blokes never won a State of Origin game. So oh, no wonder he was so dirty on the bench. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the day, you know, I I still feel it at times, but the confidence, I suppose, comes from sticking in the game for long enough and having, you know, success in terms of, you know, the money we're raising at Gotcha and saving lives, which I know we do, or the fact you just keep getting re-signed at a radio station means that there's some value there. And I suppose if you feel a bit of value, you feel a connection, then you're more likely to be a bit more confident and be able to deal with you know, the imposter syndrome, which believe me, I know a lot of really successful people, much more successful than me, and we all have it. They all have it. They talk to me about it, and I sit there and go, what do you mean? Like, you've been top of your game for decades, but they're like, nah, we're human at the end of the day. We all sit down to go to the loop. You know, we're all got stuff that we need to do, so let's all realise that that's a part of it. We need to have enough emotional muscle to get ourselves through that to keep moving. Yeah, that seeing value and finding connection, I think, is a message that's really come through in our conversation with you today, the imposterous Gus Walland. And maybe your your podcast of um, Not an Overnight Success, maybe some of those guests are a curtain raiser to appearing <laughs> on this podcast. Well, they, they, that was a really good thing about that particular podcast series was, you know, it's really famous, talented people that all went through you know, down the wrong rabbit hole at some point or had a moment where they thought, you know what, this is not going to work out, but they had whatever it was, that emotional muscle, the fortitude to go, you know what, no way, I'm not stopping, I'm going to do it. And then they had the discipline to keep going even when they got the knock. So um, they all had imposter syndrome, absolutely every single one of them, and they still pinch themselves that they are where they are or they got to where they got to. So I think it's a very human thing to have that feeling. It's just how you deal with it. It's that how many times you get knocked down, how many times, well, as long as you get up one more time, you're, you're okay. So I think that might have something um, that has a little bit of, um, you know, truth to it. If anyone's going to feel imposterous, it's standing next to Hugh Jackman. <laughs> but I think, um, well, I love, you know I, what? Love, I love your attitude to that. It was earlier in the podcast where you just said, he gave you a start, I go, yeah, isn't that great? <laughs> and you just look, that completely diffused the whole thing. I think it's well, awesome. Well, I, I did, I was happy that I came up with that answer and I was happy I didn't think about it too much. But yeah. you know what, Graham? Sometimes when you've got someone, a friend who is so famous and you've been literally a brother to them since the age of five, like Pimble Public School at five, we were together, um, I've always had the attitude, well, 
if he can be successful, so can I. So yeah. it's actually taken away that fear of it. He could have been the best lawyer, the best accountant, the best whatever. So whatever he decided to do, he was going to be successful. But the fact he's been so successful, it's made me think, well, I don't need to be that successful, but it shows that a mate who's mm. like me can do it's it. Possible. Well, I can do it. It took away quite a few barriers, actually. No, it's a great lesson. Worked in my favour. Very, nice. very proud Sounds of Sounds awful. I mean, I felt the same way when I first saw Noxie on stage in Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, but, look, you know. hey, I, I was going to refer to that, but I'm glad you have. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking to you guys. Sorry, yeah. I need to leave now. Yeah, no, 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 it's all pleasure, good. Thank you, guys. That was really amazing. enjoyed your company and thanks for your time. Great, and, thank uh, you. Mate, have, have, a brilliant, have a brilliant couple of weeks with your best mate. There's nothing better. The Imposterist is produced by Andrew Stevenson at We Love Jam Studios, the best music and sound house in Australia. The theme music that you're listening to now was created by Hilton Mode of the same company. If you would like to catch up on the other episodes in this series or previous, visit theimposterous.com. For all other updates or to make contact, follow us on Instagram at the underscore imposterous.